Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to another Rahalastava Book Club. I'm very excited to be joined by Kathleen Moran, who's written, how dare she? She's written a book called know, right? what, what About Men, which has already proved controversial. I love it. Uh, hello, Kathleen. Hello, my darling. I know. How bold of me to talk about the men. I know. I shouldn't have really. Well, you know, I've had some experience of this uh, area myself, so I'm aware uh, you do mention me in the book, so thank you for that. But uh, when when I did my international Men's Day quest, uh, which is in a similar area to this uh, on Twitter, I would get a lot of men very very annoyed, and then also quite a lot of well, on on the periphery, some uh, some feminists annoyed at me making um, an international Women's Day about myself, which I didn't feel I was attempting to do. So I'm aware that this is. A tricky uh, area to 
to deal with. Um, oh, yeah. There's always people on both sides. I have to say, I just love your yearly Quixotic quest <laughs> to just point out that there is an International Men's Day. It's, it's one yeah. of my favourite days of the year. Richard Herring tries to point out a fact today is how I think of <laughs> International Women's Day. Don't stop. Keep doing it. Yeah. Well, I have I have stopped. I've, I've written a book about it, so it's all hopefully uh, sorted out. And the book that I wrote uh, has a few uh, similarities with uh, the book you've written, but let's talk about your book and we may come on to mine a, a little bit. Why? Well, I hope so, because I've read, I've read both your book on cocks and your book on balls. And okay. I'm thrilled that I will finally be able to talk to someone who has as much in-depth knowledge of these two areas. I find them yes. absolutely fascinating. Yes, well, they are fascinating. And, I, you know, it is. It, it, I know. And this is a very interesting book. And, of course, it's, it's I think maybe people, you obviously wrote a book called How to Be be and now I'm going to get it wrong <laughs> how to be a girl or how to be a woman Both how to be a woman things. how to build a girl and then build a girl, a woman. So it, yeah, I've so done a lot of tits and badge in my time yeah I, yeah I wonder if if people are just assuming this book is called how to be a man or whatever which it isn't it's called what about men do you want to tell us why you having written uh, so eloquently and uh, broadly about being a woman which you have experienced as well I understand very um, much for most of my life what, yeah. What made you want to, or what made you, I don't think you wanted to, but what made you write this book or come up with this well, book? It was simple public pressure. Uh, we live in a capitalist consumer society and there was demand. Um, having spent 10 years writing about the women and the girls, uh, whenever I did a live show, the second or third question would be, after an hour of talking about women and girls, uh, the second or third question would be, yeah, but what about men? Like, what about the men? And I admit at first my response was quite peevish. Uh, it was, <laughs> they're fine. I don't care. Uh, I'm team tits. And uh, also it would ultimately be the ultimate irony of feminism, would it not, if women had to solve the problems of women and then solve the problems of men. So I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And then two years ago on International Women's Day, a.k.a. Richard Herring on the Internet Day, <laughs> uh, I did an event uh, for a group of 15 and 16 year olds at a college, half boys, half girls. Thought we'd be talking about women on International Women's Day. And the boys weren't having a bar of it. They basically hijacked the session and went, yeah, we can't keep talking about the problems of women and girls anymore because it's men that have the biggest problems now. Men are losing and women are winning. Uh, feminism has gone too far and it's harder to be a man now than it is a woman. And I was like, and they were angry. And whenever you meet a group of people that are angry, I get intrigued because to me, anger is always fear brought to the boil. So it's like, okay, why why are boys scared? Why is this generation of teenage boys so scared of women and what, what's happening in their lives at the moment? Well, how do they feel threatened by this? So I junked the next project that I had on the table and just thought, right, I need to, I need to ask the question, what yeah. about men? Yes, which, you know, which is what... All of these men, I mean, that's basically the International <laughs> Men's Day thing is what about men is when's International Men's Day. Men, yeah. ask this, men ask this question and then sort of don't want you to attempt to answer it. I think, I think that's, that's what I, I discovered. People, men were, you know, angry with me for, for just answering the question they, are, they asked, which is all I really did. Uh, obviously, in a slightly cheeky way. But I think, again, with this, the reaction you've had that this book has had is, A, been very successful and gone straight to the top of the number one books, <laughs> the number one uh, charts, number one in the charts. But uh, but it's also clearly peeved uh, both men and women, I think, looking looking through the inter- mainly men, but also some women are, uh, are annoyed by it, which, oh, which yeah. I, I, I do find it fascinating because I don't think it's a reflection of the book. I think it's... They, you know, I, I again with my International Men's Day book, I had the same thing where the guys who didn't like me doing it, I think the book ended up, as your book does, being quite sympathetic to yeah, their God, point yeah. of view. And uh, but they still didn't like it because they didn't want 
the answer. Uh, and they probably more so don't want the answer from a woman. But, you know, this is, as you say, don't think this is the answer. This is asking the question uh, and then giving some answers to that question. Rather yeah, than well, the, well yeah. the controversy was interesting because, as you say, it, you know, it happened before the book came out. Like, since the book, so for two weeks, my Twitter was an absolute bin fire and I just closed it down, which is the traditional way to deal with the social media pylon. And then once the book was out and people were reading it, my timeline is now just people going, oh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it's not what I thought it was. It's really good. Um, but, yeah, so the women were angry before they read it uh, because they thought I was saying, OK, I've left the women behind now. I'm all about the men. Women's problems are solved. It's all about the men now. Very much not. This is an extension of my feminism because, as any woman can tell you, 50% of the problems of women and girls are men. It's angry men, it's misogynist men, it's abusive men. So you can't fix the girls until you fix the boys. Like, if there's a problem with men, if they're angry, if they're, you know, if they feel like they haven't got a place in the world, if they're insecure, then until you fix them, you can't fix the girls. So still very much a feminist. And then the two cohorts of angry men that I got coming at me were, one, men going... I presume that you've written a book saying men are unable to communicate emotionally and discuss their problems. How dare you? That's incredibly old fashioned and reductive. I am perfectly capable of uh, being emotional. Uh, Screw you and your book I haven't read. And then the other half were people who hadn't read the book going, how dare you say men should talk about their emotions? We're not biologically wired for it. And why are you trying to turn men into women? And at that point, I was like, well, if you two guys talked about this together that would be the start of the kind of modern progressive men's movement that i'm suggesting that we need in the book like kind of yeah. is it nature or nurture how much of this is down to biology if men are modern men can talk about their emotions why is it that the leading cause of death for men under the age of 50 is suicide why don't you guys talk about that <laughs> and leave me alone i'm just a tired middle-aged woman who just tried to help out <laughs> <laughs> yeah well again and there's 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 a few i think the, the main point where we agree. And again, I, I found it quite a journey writing, writing my book because it was, you know, it started from this point, oh, men, are, these men are being stupid and, you know, let's just have a laugh at them to w- trying to work out why they why they were so upset about it and why they didn't do anything about it. But also writing the, the, the book, I sort of realised the problem for men is other men, mainly. I mean, that men like to blame women and, and some of the men you mentioned in, in the book who are the the sort of champions, you know, the Andrew Tate kind of fellows, uh, I, I want to blame women for all of men's problems. But all the things that, you know, the men, men do face violence, mainly from other men. Men do face, you know, going to war, but at the behest of other men. And, and so it's the patriarchy that is, is uh, you know, I'm not going to say it's worse for men than it is for women, because obviously it's much better for a lot of men. But it, it's it's a it's a it's the problem for it's not women it's men that are the problem for men. Oh, yeah, I, as I say in the book, the patriarchy is screwing over men just as hard as it's screwing other women. It's just that women have been discussing how patriarchy is screwing them over for the last fifty to one hundred years, whereas. I mean, I think we think of patriarchy just being kind of like men being horrible to women. But within patriarchy, you know, it's men attacking other men. It's men making other men feel unmasculine or saying you're the wrong kind of man or bullying them. And the key thing is, and the reason why the rays of Andrew Tate is so worrying, is that the offer that kind of like patriarchy makes and someone like Andrew Tate makes is what you need is power. Men, if you feel anxious or, you know, insecure or depressed, then what you need is power. And what you specifically need is power over women. And power never made anybody happy. Like kind of what you actually need is empowerment. You need to learn to self-soothe. You need to learn to feel that you've got a supportive group around you. You need to feel that you've got a job that is meaningful. You need to have sort of, you know, relationships in your life that make you feel happy. And that's what feminism did for women. Women never sought power over men. 
with feminism, what feminism was about was empowering women, getting a bunch of tools that allowed you to look at what you were supposed to be as a woman. And if it made you unhappy, going, yeah, I don't want to play by those rules. I want to invent a new kind of woman. I want a different kind of life. I'm going to say that women can go into space and wear trousers and smoke cigarettes and have sex, things that traditionally only men were supposed to do. Um, so, so yeah, that's, you know, the offer of the book is going, maybe power isn't going to work for you. <laughs> maybe empowerment is what you need. Well, especially with those guys, the Jordan D. Petersons and, uh, and Andrew Tate's are clearly getting power for themselves by creating a little army of, of, you know, powerless men and, and getting them behind them and then treating them much worse than anyone else well, would treat well, them. I mean, God, I mean, the power pyramid for Jordan B. Peterson fans is amazing. So he, he, he uh, as I suspected, uh, came at me on Twitter a couple of weeks ago and uh, by calling me Catelyn Moron, uh, which is a joke that was first made by Lee Bacon at Springdale Primary School in Wolverhampton in 1986. Uh, a, a boy who also once ate a worm for 20 pence and later at a house party that I went to shot a snail with an air rifle. So I was interested to see how what Time magazine called the most important intellectual of our generation, who was his kindred spirit there but um but yeah Jordan B. Peterson he's that classic you know kind of like you know somebody who hasn't read many books idea of a clever person like he he passes it all off as science and philosophy and psychology but and then his main sort of theory is Jordan B. Peters lobster theory in which he observes that lobsters if they are not constantly aggressive and winning fights um, a chemical reaction happens in their brains where parts of their brains melt and they become brain damaged and subservient forever and submissive and from this, he extrapolates that this would happen to men, human men, and that if a man is not constantly aggressive and ever loses a fight, then he too would find his brain melting and he would become subservient and say men must always be aggressive and must always win. It's fatal to them if they lose. So there's a couple of points here. One, lobsters diverged evolutionarily from humans 800 million years ago. Like, we are not lobsters. We don't piss out of our eyes. We don't have gigantic, delicious hands. And two, if losing was fatal for human and rendered us brain damaged, then the Olympic Games would be a human rights issue. And even a Christmas game of Scrabble with a family would mean it was a bloodbath for whoever lost. So uh, this idea that, like, if you lose, that you're less of a man is such a terrible piece of advice from someone who's supposedly clever and on the side of men. Like, all humans will lose. We will lose over and over again in our lives. And part of, you know, one of the many things that I, I think is very difficult for men, particularly young men, is just learning how to lose with good grace and learn from it and not feel that you've been damaged or diminished. And, um, yeah, I, I can't believe this supposedly clever man is handing out this advice and being seen as some kind of intellectual genius. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I understand why he, he, they appeal to especially... Teenagers, which is what you say about Andrew Tate, that school teachers are saying when kids get about sixteen, they think, "Oh, he's a bit embarrassing," but thirteen course, and fourteen-year-olds yes. love him, which is sort of sums him up. But I, you know, I do remember that, you know, because I, 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 it is all about communication and allowing, uh, you know, being honest. I think with boys and allowing boys and men to be honest about their feelings, because when when I, you know, when you're a teenager, you feel like the girls are all going out with older, you know, guys who are 20 and have cars and you feel like no girl's ever going to be interested in you. And so if someone, you know, and so you feel like it's, you know, you feel like there's some fault if you, unless you're very perceptive and go, this may be a fault with me, or this may be a fault with being young, but you know, you're going to feel, Oh, this is, this is something to do with women. So if someone comes along and, and, and says that this is the way to get girls or get women interested in you is to be powerful over them. I can understand that appealing to, a but, but this is one brain. of the 
But this is one of the problems, like kind of like as a woman and a feminist, half the sort of half of my life is spent doing unpaid feminism. I'm always retweeting petitions and mentoring young women and sort of talking about the feminisms and women of my generation, progressive liberal women of my generation have been very good at kind of like talking to constantly the younger women and going, we're a bit older, we can give you some wisdoms here. And there isn't so much of that mentorship for the men of my generation, for the younger teenage boys now. So, you know, you need the 22 year old with a car who's getting all the 17-year-old girlfriends to say, yeah, when I was 16 and I didn't have a car, I didn't have a girlfriend either. It's fine. You just wait a couple of years. The the, the solution isn't to basically enter Andrew Tate's Ponzi scheme and believe that the solution to your problems would be having a Romanian sex bunker. Like, kind of, it's it's, it's just not a useful piece of advice. Like, for a 15-year-old boy worried about his willy and his GCSEs, he can't run a Romanian sex bunker. You know, he's having problems tidying up his bedroom. Like, something, something slightly more practical and based in reality would be far more useful. I think so, but I think, you know, I think it, I felt like, they, you know, I grew up in the 80s when I think it was worse in terms of any kind of education about that. But I do, you know, I think, and, and I think in the in the 20th century, the role models we had and the films you watched and, and you know, which were all about tricking women by, or create, or building building a woman in weird silence. Weird, or weird science, silence. yes. Yeah, or, you know, <laughs> or, 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 you know, lying in order, that, pretty all the romantic films were, were a man lying to a woman, her finding out and then her forgiving him and liking him anyway. But, oh, but totally. you know, or was, him being was... a useless schlub, but her learning to love him anyway. Or kind of like in the film Ted with Seth Rogen, where the bear just shits all over the floor and in the end the sexy supermodel's like, hey, I'm, I'm fine with shitting all over the floor. I need to relax. No, just don't do that. Use your toilet. <laughs> but I was, I was interested in something I didn't know. Uh, and I, I haven't read The Game. Is it Neil Strauss who wrote that? Yes. Yes. Uh, and but I've obviously heard about it, but I I was unaware that he'd written a follow up, as most people are, because the game remains a very successful book about being, you know dating women by being mean to them and being negative to them and 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 being a sort of Andrew Tate sort of figure. But then he realised how shallow that was after doing it for a couple of years and wrote another it's- book about it. Totally. It's so sad because basically, yeah, the game is about being a pickup artist and basically the gamification of kind of like sort of being able to pick up women and stuff. And he basically suggests a series of things that would be your worst nightmare if you're a woman, like sort of going up to women and going, you have lovely hair. Is it a wig? Like kind of like, oh, look at your hands. They're really big, like a man's hands. And like kind of and sort of stage two of this is you have to make kinetic connection and just start touching a woman within five minutes of meeting her. Like kind of these are things that like if my daughter was sort of reporting this had happened to her in a nightclub, I'd be so scared for her. But but, but some of these techniques work and the book sold, I think, eight million copies. And then a couple of years later, he wrote a book that was should have basically been called. No, not the game. Don't play the game. (laughs) I, Neil Strauss, have made a terrible mistake where he realized that, first of all, his compulsion to be picking up a new woman every night was nothing to do with his sex drive, just that he was desperately insecure, incredibly depressed, had undiagnosed ADHD and um, an obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and that, that he would now wanted to fall in love and settle down, but that, that he'd spent so long in the game that he just didn't know how to relate to one woman and sort of like, and find the kind of happiness that you need because, you know, you can go off and spend your years being a playboy, but as you get older, you want someone you can sit with and eat a baked potato and watch telly. You know, when you're ill, you want someone who's going to sit on the side of the bath while you've got diarrhea and chat to you and lighten the mood uh you know these are the sort of companionship that we we seek in later life and obviously the game doesn't give you any hints for that at all but his sequel the truth is one of the best books i've ever read about male psychology and go through the therapy process it's um blisteringly honest and funny and uh, extraordinary and sold two copies because it didn't tell you how to get laid (laughs) 
I mean, I think it's, you know, young men will want to get laid and young women will want to get laid. And that's, again, I think that's what I read. The, 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 when I wrote Talking Cop, the most surprising thing for me, I, I did a I did um, surveys for men and women and, you know, just almost didn't think of doing the one for women. But that was the genius of it because we got you got women's ideas about men and about cocks. And I realized that whilst there was, you know, 5% of people, you know, or 5% of experiences were bad, 95% of women who are into men love the, love the men they're into and and like us and i think that's you know i think maybe it just it just sort of even i went oh they oh women don't just automatically hate men which is so ridiculous because obviously the the human race continues and and uh, you know so i think men have been a men you know even someone who's thought about it a lot as i have was surprised by that at the time and you know it but it's just a switch and then you go oh of course they like us that makes sense oh god huge i mean this book i mean i hope it comes across tell me if it didn't but i mean the book that you know my book is just you're a huge fan of men i've been yeah, married absolutely. to one of them for 24 years like kind of like you know I've, i you know I, I code switch very well in a party i'm usually talking to the men and um and yeah it was that thing of like you know if you do you sit around with any group of women and they will spend hours talking about what they love about men. But the problem is for men and women is that the conversations like both in our, in our personal lives, you know, and in the news tend to be dominated by the small amount of bad men. Like, you know, whenever you see a man on on the news, it's because he's shot up a school, like, you know, or, you know, he's, he's murdered his wife, like kind of like, and that's, you know, obviously women are aware of, of the bad press for men, but it makes me feel, you know, if you, briskly and briefly break men down into good men and bad men. I believe that 97% of men are good. You know, they're just good, lovely men, like kind of just going around the world, just, you know, trying to enjoy their lives and be pleasant to other people. But this 5% ruin it for everybody else. Like kind of like that we know how they ruin it for women because feminism is very good about talking about it. But I hate for your gang that that's the narrative that like kind of like when we talk about men, you know, just things like, you know, the rape statistics, you know, women's lives are dominated by knowing that one in four of us will be sexually assaulted or raped. And it's probably higher because it's massively underreported. But like we've never and we're really good at helping the victims and opening up refuges and kind of, you know, and uh, but we never talk about, you know, how many men is it that are doing this then? We've got no stats on that. And why are men doing it? Why is it that your gang and your, you know, your the perception of men? is dominated by this small amount of men who are com- committing these sexual crimes and we don't know who they are or why they're doing it or how we can stop it. And it's just kind of like, so the presumption has to be, oh, well, a certain amount of men are just like that. And I hate that for you guys. Like, why? I don't think that needs to be true. I think we could look into that. And is it to do with scared men? Is it to do with men being badly educated? Is it to do with men feeling insecure about themselves and, again, feeling they need to have power? We just haven't done any research into why these things happen. And... Again, if there was something this, you know, if there was a significant proportion of women committing these crimes against men, we'd be researching it and women would be talking about it and going, women, why are you doing this to men? This is horrible. <laughs> but we, again, we don't seem to have those conversations and it intrigues me. It's sort of seen as like, oh, that's just part of men. And I don't believe that's part of men. I don't think that needs to be a fact that continues for the rest of, the rest of our existences. No, I agree. And I think, you know, your book, I mean, again, something that I try to do with, with International Men's Day was get people celebrating good men. Because I think I think it is... Just you know, because you get you get worn down by it. If if someone's saying this, men have done this, men have done that. You know, as 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 the, the stereotype of feminism can sometimes be, and I don't think it's true of feminism. But you know that you're just being berated all the time, which I you know, as you say, it's much more about women celebrating and looking after themselves than it is anything to do with men. But men yeah. feel that, um, and and I think just a little bit of positivity, which again in the book, I think you pick very good role models of uh, Bob Mortimer and Paul Whitehouse, both as guys who've 
found a way to talk to each other. But also both of those men who are the, you know, especially Bob, but Paul is also fantastic. But I just think Bob Mortimer, as you do, is uh, is one of the greatest human beings who's ever lived. Oh, God, an absolute uh, living God, yes. But they're both, but they're also, they're not, they wouldn't be the kind of guy you would look at and go, oh, there he is, the woke Bob Mortimer <laughs> with his with his agenda. He's just a charming, lovely, funny man who I'm sure is is very, you know, very liberal in his politics, but it's nothing to do with that. He's just funny and lovely and, you know, and everyone loves him. And, and that is where, you know, that's where men should be aspiring to be. And, you know, the fact that he's opened up and talked about the things he's been through and this fishing show, which... Uh, is you know is 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 just a terrific piece because it's funny and it's but it gives them gives them this ability to to talk through these men's issues. I was lucky enough to go on it and talk about my uh, my balls. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know, I think it is about pushing, you know, guys, I mean, men, you know, you compare them to dogs, which, which <laughs> well, I get what you're saying. It doesn't yeah. sound good when you say it like that. Uh, no. But, you know, I think there there is this massive insecurity in men that, that I think because they fear being judged by other men, they find it hard to hard to admit to. Well, A, a to put the dog thing into context, because I did get some people who hadn't read the book uh, being angry about that. So having written most of the chapters are about things that are going wrong in men's lives or problems that men have and suggesting solutions. And I was like, well, I do want to start a kind of men's movement that would be the equivalent of feminism. Um, like, so, And every movement has to start with hope and positivity and joy. So I want to end the book talking about what's great about men. So I was just listing all the things like the, sort of, the energy, the enthusiasm, the loyalty, the joy, the ability to play, uh, you, know, the defend, you know, being able to defend the ones that you love. And then I go, I realized I was basically describing dogs. So then I went onto Twitter and asked Twitter, what's good about men? And the replies I got back from men were things like, yeah, we're enthusiastic and loyal and love to play and stuff. Basically, we're dogs. So it's not me saying that, it's men <laughs> no. saying that. And so therefore, I can't be attacked by it. But when you're talking about Bob Mortimer being a great role model and the other role models that I mentioned in the book, but them not being seen as like woke or part of a movement, I think that's part of the problem. 
because like if you go into any teenage girl's bedroom it's full of all her heroes and they are all part of the feminist movement feminism has you know you know determined aims and things that we believe in and sort of like women become part of the feminist pantheon and they become heroes because there isn't a men's movement we don't analyze what it is that bob's doing or paul mccartney's doing or keanu reeves doing you know michael palin david attenborough as being part of a movement for men we just see them as men it's not seen as part of a thing with coherent aims that we can discuss and go, oh, why are they great role models? You know, what is it we're learning here in the way that girls will study what Beyonce does or Taylor Swift does or Jermaine Greer does? And that's what I think we need a bit more analysis. So it's not just individual men who are not part of anything and you have to find them as a role model and then try and work out what they mean. We, we you know, why can't we analyse why it is that men are great role models and learn something from it and have these discussions in the same way that we have had with women? Because when I was talking to those angry teenage boys who felt that women were winning and men were losing, it wasn't based on any material facts. Women are still underrepresented in, you know, in politics and in business. We're still underpaid compared to, you know, in sports compared to men, even though we're more successful in football. Uh, you know, we still know the statistics on, on rape and sexual assault. So we don't have any real advantage. The only thing that we do have that men don't have is feminism. It's this movement where whatever problem you have as a girl, there's a book about it, there's a TV show about it, there's a blog about it, there's someone doing a stand-up routine about it, and it's all part of a movement that that is constantly going, if you are unhappy with your life as a girl, there's another girl out there who's had this problem, and here's how she solved it. And I think that's what young teenage boys are missing. Like, I think that sense of being part of something, we have feminist clubs in school, half the raising of my teenage daughters was not done by me, it was done by, they could go out there and find a feminist hero talking about their problems, but if you're a teenage boy, there's no boys club at school, there's no men's movement that you can go to and like, you know, type in your problem in a sort of scared, am I the only one who's got this? And then find thousands of other people go, no, I've got it too, and here's some solutions, and I think that's why someone like Andrew Tate has stepped into the void now, because he's the only person going, yeah, let's talk about men. And obviously, I think that's a dollar state of affairs because I don't think he provides solutions. And I think we do need a progressive men's movement that just goes, yeah, let's let's let, let's see it as, a, you know, a question that needs to be asked and some solutions that need to be come up with. Yeah, it, you know, you're definitely right about that. I think it's sort of interesting that most of the, I mean, all of those men you mentioned, uh, except for Andrew Tate, are, are over fifty and probably over sixty. And so I think there is, you know, I think there's uh, maybe men you know find it hard to talk about honestly about being men because we are slightly disgusting uh and thus you know feel we'll be judged for, for being, well, that's for being disgusting yeah no well that's i mean that's what i put in the book i think you know men of my generation and younger i think when this big feminist movement started happening sort of 15 20 years ago i think you all really politely went fair enough well, let the ladies talk now. Like, kind of like, this is a very recent and mild corrective to 10,000 Years of Patriarchy and Benny Hill chasing sexy schoolgirls around a tree. You were like, okay, we will pipe down, let's let the ladies talk. But of course, we don't realise that for like 15-year-old boys now, they've grown up in this time when all they're hearing is the future is female. And every newspaper runs 50 women who are going to change the world features. And we have books called 100 Kick-Ass Women from History. There isn't, you know, they've grown up in a time where the only time you hear particularly the phrase straight white man it's usually when someone's about to talk about someone being really problematic. And if you can't even say, I'm a straight white man, without people thinking you're about to say something really problematic, yeah. then, then of course you, you have this guilt and shame about who you are that means that someone like Andrew Tate can step in and go, no, there should be no guilt and shame about being a straight white man. And so, it, I, you know, women have been so good at talking about being women. People of colour have been so good about being, talking about being of colour. The LGBT communities run all these campaigns. Pride is always an amazing thing. You know, kind of like International Women's Day is always an amazing thing. And I think we do need 
people to do things on International Men's Day that aren't kind of, we want power, or yeah, it's time for the men to strike back, but talking about Marcus Rashford, you know, kind of like, you know, sort of like Paul McCartney. Let's just talk about what makes a great man a great man and why we love them. Yeah, I mean, I hope it is moving a little bit a bit in that direction. Um, you know, I think like Marcus Rashford's a great example. I think the England... The England footballers now, compared to the England footballers of my youth, right? Uh, yeah. are, you know, are, are a very, very different prospect. Obviously, they don't know, they, they get a bit of hassle, uh, to say the least, for for that. Someone like Marcus Rashford, who you know, Marcus Rashford, what an amazing young man, and what an amazing example uh, to both. You know, that you can be successful and kind, that you can be yeah. rich and care about other people. So you don't and have to give up on you. Yeah, you yeah. Also, like Delhi Ali talking this week about the abuse that he'd suffered as a child. Like that's such a brave and ballsy thing to do. Like someone yeah. in his position, like kind of, it's an extraordinary thing to have done. And like you know, I just sort of like there's the start of the conversation right there. Like kind of, yeah. you know, just sort of like just you know, it's every time a man has a really honest conversation and admits something that is shameful, the world changes a tiny bit. There will be so many people who will feel that they can talk about what's happened to them there because of him. It was an extraordinary thing that he did. Yeah. Oh no, you know, and I think that's what this this book is and that's what I love about this book. I mean, it's funny and it's interesting, you know, it's a, it's creating talking points which it definitely has done uh, before and after publication, uh, but it's also just a, it's just about getting people talking. So it's not, you know, and I, you're not saying you're not you're not saying you're going to get you're asking a question not giving an answer and I think that's it it is it is the the beginning of it and 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 talking about it which is I've always said and and I think that you know I think comedians do do it a bit and I think there is some great I think uh, John Robbins and Ellis James are doing some fantastic work on their in their in their podcasts and their radio show in getting talking about things like addiction and mental illness and alcoholism uh, and you know there are I think again the younger generation I think I hope are starting to find their way through this but it, you know, it, it's it's fascinating to talk about it, and I think all of those, I think, you know, it, we're both middle aged, unfortunately yes. for us, and I think you know the, the the concerns of this book are, you know, are from a middle aged perspective as as of my own views. So that you know, I think the things like Andrew Tate and might seem might loom larger for us because they they feel like they're. You know, he is pretty bad. <laughs> but, but, but you know, but you know, as a parent, one thinks, "Oh, what about my kids?" Uh, whereas, um, you know, maybe, maybe the younger, maybe what you say about the, the the teenagers seeing through him, I think, is hopefully a hopeful point. Oh yeah, when they get older, the stats on Andrew Tate are crazy though. Like, kind of like every school in this country has had to have a staff meeting to talk about it because the because yeah. the Andrew Tate fans are very disruptive. So female teachers are getting homework handed back to them by boys that have making me a sandwich written on the bottom like you know you should not be teaching me you're a woman male teachers having boys going you know sir do you let your wife go out on her own so the amount of resources that having to be put into like into countering this and you know and uh, i just always think that something like that happens it's like you know there's there's signaling a massive need there and also it's only in the last year that you know parents of my age have been aware of him like kind of because there is that disconnect like kind of we don't really know what's happening in our kids world they live in a very different world to us social media is so huge stuff like pornography like there's a whole chapter on pornography and uh and you know we we grew up in an era where you found porn in a bush or a tree like kind of like you know just shoved to there like nature's pornography whereas these kids have grown up in a world of like infinite increasingly extreme online pornography and it's completely changed and in a lot of cases for the worse their idea of what sex is uh yeah. you, you talk to a lot of young girls you've just seen and it's the age they're watching it as well. We think, oh, well, you know, we'll give kids the talk when they're like 11 before they go to secondary school. But they're seeing it when they're like eight or nine because your kid's entry into the world of porn is absolutely predicated on the most troubled kid in their class 
pushing their mobile phone towards them and going, look at this. This is weird, isn't it? Like, yeah. this is freaky. This is scary. And because we aren't aware that they're watching it at that age, we haven't given them the big talk, which is, you know, this, the, you're not just looking at porn. The porn's looking into you. Because whatever sex you see when you're eight or nine or ten, that's going to become your sexual fantasies. That's going to become your sexual preferences. You're going to be wired to it. You know, you're going to get this rush of adrenaline, serotonin. And this is the kind of stuff that's going to turn you on for the rest of your life. And we don't know what they're looking at, you know, uh, you know, and if you ask them, they're telling you some pretty scary stuff, like kind of like, you know, you know, choking during sex is such a massive thing. And, uh, you know, we've raised a whole generation of kids who think you've got to do something incredibly dangerous in order to have sex. It's like, no, you know, if you want to be dizzy during sex, which is what choking is, just do what our generation did and either hold your breath or use poppers. Like, you know, these are the traditional methods of feeling a bit dizzy during sex. Don't do something that might actually kill someone. That's not fun. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think I think it, you know you are right, and that is a that is a terrifying prospect, and that's a very the, the chapter about that is is especially terrific. I think because you talked to the uh, the son of one of your friends who you'd mentioned in the previous book about worrying about this when he was ten, and then and then your prediction sadly come kind of crushingly true. But I, but I, you know I, again, I think there's always been something for each generation. You know, I do look back at our, my own. You know, literally the things that were erotic to, to, to a nineteen eighties teenager. You could not believe if you showed them to a teenager today. Said, "Look, there's a lady in a bra found in a, in a yeah catalog. case catalogue. Yeah, sexy. Yeah, it's the stockings page. Woohoo! We know what that's for. Yeah, wanking to an Argos catalogue if you have to. Like kind of." Yeah, no, it's 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 true. Like kind of, but yeah, your, your your sexual fantasies and like, and it's just interesting that that pornography is particularly bad at making you forget that sort of like it's a collaborative effort. Like kind of, yeah. I think you know, talking to a lot of young men about the kind of sex they're watching now, where guys with huge pricks are like chucking women around the room and are totally in control of that situation at all times. So there's no room for getting it wrong or asking a question or being tender or open or vulnerable. And and there's the sort of, you know, the women don't really sort of feature in it at all. They're just a thing you have sex on. Yeah. And, you know, sex is one of the all-time collaborative efforts. Like, kind of, you know, more so even than Simon and Garfunkel. You know, it really is going to take both of you <laughs> engaged in that endeavour for it to work. <laughs> but hopefully, you know, I think it, it is, there there are positive signs. One of the reviewers of, of the book mentioned... Uh, bandit from bluey which i think he, he's a very good role model he is a literal dog uh yes. but uh but he's uh he's actually almost impossible to live up to as a a role model as as a dad but it's good to it's good compared to uh daddy pig i think who you do mention who's a yeah. stupid idiot you know i think i think the, the you like you say in the last 20 years you know every every comedy example of a man is a sort of lazy slob or a you know a, a, a guy who's sitting in his sofa while his wife looks after him is a ridiculously attractive wife that sort right. of run looks after him and i hope that you know that things are changing away from that and that, that, that it's getting more realistic but it, you know the thing with equality is if we reach equality it's good for everyone <laughs> so all the men yeah. saying all the men <laughs> saying but we're not equal in this you go yeah but if you get equality you will be equal and i also feel you know as much as feminism is is an incredible movement and has done amazing things if men accept that about equality we sort of will get equality is <laughs> is the men who need to change mainly oh, to to get there 
Well, I'm always amazed by things like, for instance, the pay gap. So women have like campaigned against the pay gap for years that women are still paid less than men. And that's seen as a feminist issue. But like one of the sort of issues that came up in the book was like how recurrent it is that men's first marriages fail and then they marry again a couple of years later and then they go, oh, and they have children for the second time. And they go, oh, this time around, I'm enjoying being a dad. Like this time I'm there for the feeds and the nappies and stuff. This time I'm really enjoying it. And you talk to them about why they couldn't do it with their first families. And they were like, because I had to earn my money. Like when you're yeah. a young man, that's where you've really got to focus on your career. You don't get proper paternity leave. So like, you know, it just had to be the career. And that's basically why my first marriage failed. And that's, I'm astonished that that's not seen as something that men would want to campaign against. That like your first family will statistically likely to fail because you don't get paternity leave. And because the pay gap is still so existent that it makes sense for the woman to stay at home and look after the kids while the man goes and earns the money. Like, you know, if, if, if we had equal pay, men and women, then you could be around for your first family and you might not even need a second family with all the heartbreak and ruin that that involves. Like kind of that, you know, that's a really big, obvious structural thing. And I don't see any men ever talking about it or complaining about it or campaigning against it. They're just just kind of stoically going, oh, well, that's what it's like to be a man. Like, I don't want to make a fuss. I don't want to complain. And these things break my heart because yeah. women have been really good at making a fuss about that kind of stuff over the last 20 years. And I want men to make a little bit more of a fuss about the problems that they face in their lives, especially when it's something as big as that. Yeah. But again, I think, you know, it's very easy to make people and men focus on the wrong thing. It's very easy for the people who are threatened by change in in everything to, to you know, direct people to the wrong the, the wrong cause. And the easy, the easy cause to blame. And I think that's a, a, an excellent point, the one about the, the pay gap affecting men, because it just, it's it takes a, it takes a disconnect to kind of think of it that way around. You think, well, I'm making more money. That's got to be good. But yeah, I mean, we, you know, I think that there, we men and all these things are generalizations. And you admit this in your book, you, you acknowledge oh, yeah. this in your book that you, you can't possibly say, you know, or four billion people in the world are all like this because of course we're not and 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 I, and I think men and women and you talk about men and women's brains being more or less identical I, I I think from the stuff I've done there are obviously some differences overall but there, there's not that much difference we're, and and you know it's a, it's a it's it, you'll find you can you can find the person on the who who will match you in whatever you want to be if you want to be monogamous or you want to be on your own or whatever you want or if you want to be crazy you can find the person there's so many people so you can find the person to be with who matches you uh and 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 and, and make it work together but you know we we are sort of being forced away from working as a team uh, that's the thing that's the yeah. ultimate thing like I come yeah. from a big family I'm the eldest of eight and uh, it was often me driving the car with uh, all my brothers and sisters in the back and you know the boys would argue with the girls and the girls would argue with the boys and like I, that's how it, that's basically society and I see myself as still the person in the driving seat just turning around going look your brothers and sisters were all together on this drive <laughs> whether it was down to Cornwall or as it is existentially towards the grave like kind of like we can't get away from each other we're giving birth to each other we're marrying each other we're hanging out with each other we are brothers and sisters and uh and just the idea that sort of like we still think there's such a thing as as a battle of the sexes we all basically want the same things yeah you know we all want eight hours sleep and someone we can sort of like natter to or moan with and sort of like hang out with um and just to sort of feel happy and safe and like we're sort of you know there's a bit of hope for the future and uh, women have been really good at giving each other that kind of hope and i just sort of the more really unexpectedly the word that i used the most when i was writing this book was heartbreaking it was just sort of this general kind of sense from men of like, we don't want to make a fuss. It would be impolite. This is what it's like being a man. 
and uh, I, I, and I, I really don't like that for for my boys. <laughs> I want you to have the same kind of sense of hurrah, we're fantastic that women have been really enjoying over the last fifteen yeah. years. I know. Well, you know, I, do, I feel a bit sad for men and myself because I certainly fall into that category a little bit as well. But uh, you know, and, and I think the thing where you're talking about people saying I, about re, about Mortimer and Whitehouse just going, I wish I had a friend like that. It is. I mean, I think you know, I think there are. I think a lot of my I don't really have many friends anymore, you know, but I'm very happy. I've got a young family, so I'm very happy within that. But uh, it is, there are these tropes that I think that that are generally true. And, and I, you know, I think it is, it's interesting in the book, you talk about some of the friends who've said they don't really have friends that as a result of thinking about it, went off and talked to their friends or, yeah. or, or looked up old friends. And that's not a biology thing or a different no. in men and women's brains. It's just, and so, that, so the stats are that one in five men over the age of 50 said they had no close friends. So that's why the online response, whenever there's an episode of um, of Bob and Paul got on Gone Fishing, are really heartbreaking because it's just loads of men going, I wish I had a mate like that. I wish I could hang out with someone. And when you talk to men, about why that is they're just kind of like yeah I have friends but basically and you know when they talk about it they're suddenly like oh yeah I never actually arranged to meet them like all my me and my girlfriends were on our whatsapp groups all the time we scheduled ladies quarterly meetings every four months to discuss stuff I know what all my girlfriends had for breakfast I know what they're having for tea today we're constantly talking to each other and when I wrote the first draft of the friendship uh, chapter my husband read it and was like oh god that that's the difference isn't it you just literally spend three minutes a month organizing when you're going to see your friends I've just realized that friendship is a verb it's a doing word and men aren't so good at the moment in the way that you know sort of men live their lives are just going yeah every couple of weeks we've got to meet up and we have an atta and if you meet each other regularly then you tend to end up having deeper conversations than if you just meet up once a year in the pub I mean the, the, the amount of women friends that I know who like when their partners come home from three hours in the mate in the pub with their mates and they go so What's the gossip from Simon's world? Like, you know, what's he been doing? What's he up to? Did he buy that house? How's the dog? Like, did you get that job? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, no, we never talked about any of that. It's like, well, you've been there for three hours. What were you talking about? And, you know, they've been talking about pop trivia quizzes and the football and music or whatever it is they're into. But because you're only meeting it once or twice a year, you never get into the deep stuff that women do within 30 seconds of meeting each other. Like, you know, I've, I've talked to a woman for three minutes on a bus and known everything about her uterus. But like kind of like men don't sort of segue into that deep stuff so quickly and easily. And like kind of or I think sometimes they think they've only got maybe two or three tokens in their life where they can have a deep conversation and they can only play those in kind of in extremists. But, you know, women are just bitching about their problems to each other all the time and it just takes the pressure off. And I sort of I'm basically encouraging men to just bitch a bit more and like kind yeah. of, you know, more, more regular and scheduled bitching with your male friends would, would make an enormous difference. Yeah, well, it's one of the very good pieces of advice in the in the book. Uh, I did really enjoy it. And uh, and again, I just think it's it's really important to to be talking about all this stuff, even even if we can't get quite to solutions, even if it I mean, it's such a complicated subject. Uh, I mean, it's just the the whole of humanity is within this subject. So, so you know, uh, neither of you or I are gonna are gonna get there. But I, but I think um, I think just talking about it is 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 so helpful. And you know, and it's great to be. It's it's a funny book, uh, as well as having some serious stuff in it, and, and as well as making points. But it's you know, it's it's obviously one person's opinion, and it's based on what you've observed. Uh, it's not based on 50 years of gender studies in a library and well I mean to be fair I did do all the research and wrote a very like all the stats are in there but you know yeah. it's you know you want to make it as, as fun and a readable and an anecdotal book as possible and yeah. the, the main thing that I have observed which you know I, you know the, the, the author that I'm making in the book is that 
women have just been feminism has changed women's lives because we just organized and talked about stuff and like observably even in my lifetime the idea of what a woman can be and can do and what we're allowed to talk about and what's you know the amount of shame that we've removed from talking about our bodies or our emotions or our jobs or anything is really palpable and so what I'm saying is like kind of like there's no reason why that shouldn't apply to men like kind of like you know if you can't talk about your dicks or your depression or your job and you sort of worry that you're not spending enough time with your kids or you don't see your friends enough then there's there's there is a thing that humans invented that talks about problems of gender which is feminism and you could just simply have a bag of the feminism i'm passing the feminism bifter around like we've invented this thing that if you find your gender constrictive you can talk about it and change it and uh, and you know i've observed it change within my lifetime and i don't see why it couldn't change for men in in, in the rest of the lifetime that i have left I think that's true. Uh, also, men are all babies, and that's the main problem. Anyway, <laughs> I, that's the main issue. It takes us till we're 50 before we're anywhere near grown up. Uh, but uh, that's just, maybe just me, that one. Um, but um, have you been reading anything else, Catelyn, that you would like to recommend to our listeners are you a big re- i'm assuming you're oh, a big reader gosh yeah oh god i've always got 10 well so I've, yeah. I've just read your your book on cock and your book on balls which i found <laughs> to be absolutely splendid and and, and very eye-opening so I, I hugely recommend those but i don't know if it's cannibalism to recommend the <laughs> podcast author's books on his own podcast <laughs> about books uh rick samada's uh, i never said i loved you i think he's absolutely extraordinary so he's um he was an actor and then he started working for the guardian and he's written an absolutely incredible memoir about kind of like depression anxiety sex self-loathing and it's just one of the funniest wisest books i was hooting out loud reading it he's a beautiful writer that's absolutely extraordinary um so that that would be my main recommendation at the moment i think right Rips and Madders, i never said i loved you it's I, I can't imagine anyone reading it and not having their breath taken away by how incredibly honest and funny he is and uh, what are you moving on to next? Have you got the next subject in mind? Are you going to move? Oh away? yes, yeah, yeah. No, no. The next one's about uh, all the uh, women of my age who are still single, who are um, having difficulties finding good husbands, and it's uh, about some women who start making perfect robot husbands, and uh, okay. and how that goes wrong. It's a side. Basically, it's just funny you mentioned weird science at the beginning of this. I was watching Weird Science, <laughs> and my fifteen-year-old uh, daughter went, "Why don't we do a women's version of this? These are boys making their ideal woman, and it all goes wrong. Why don't women make their ideal man, and it all goes wrong?" And I was like, yep, I'll pay you a tenner for that idea. That's the next one I'm writing. So Great. it's Lady Weird Science. <laughs> okay, well, look forward to that. Well, thank you very much, Catelyn Moran. Fantastic book, fantastic chat. Uh, thank you also to Chris Evans, not that one, for all of his hard work on this. Thank you. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Thanks again for listening to the podcast. RichardHerring.com slash fallback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. GoFasterStripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.